Blake. I'm Caleb. And this is the Sunday Underground. Let's see. Today I have for you a true crime case. It's a 14-year-old boy, Michael Hernandez. Okay. Have you heard of him? Um, I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Well, we're going to learn about him today. Um, so I guess we'll just jump into it. Michael Hernandez was the second child born to Manny and Kathy Hernandez on February 2nd, 1990. He lived in Palmetto Bay, Florida, and attended Southwood Middle School up until he was 14 years old. He was said to be happy, outgoing, really smart. He was in all gifted classes, and he loved to be the center of attention. And from what I can tell, had a very normal childhood. Uh, he had two best friends, Jaime Goff, uh, age 14, and Andre Martin, age 13. Michael had met Jaime a year or so earlier, and he had met Andre, and we'd known Andre since about the third or fourth grade. And like every friend group, there's always kind of a hierarchy, mm-hmm. you know, the one leader yeah. of the group. And Michael was very much the leader of their friend group. So around the end of the summer in 2003, Michael's friends and family started to notice a change in his behavior, but his parents kind of chalked it up to like puberty and just part of growing up and trying to figure yourself out at that age because middle school is rough. Yeah, it really is. It's a hard time. Yep. You're just trying to discover yourself. Yeah. Um, So well, he became obsessed with working out, which really isn't weird by itself, but I think the way he went about it kind of causes his parents and friends to be a little concerned. Mm -hmm. He was very meticulous about his workouts and his routines. He would work out multiple times a day and he would have this planner and in his planner, his day was timed out by the minute. Like when he would wake up, when he would brush his teeth, when he would go to school, when he would socialize with people, he allotted himself time to talk to his friends. That's too, like, in my opinion, that's too manufactured. I'm, I'm with you. That's too much. I get it. Maybe you have a really busy schedule and mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I need to complete task XYZ by this time so sure. I can move on to this. That I get. That's normal. But allowing yourself time to be a friend is yeah, weird. It is. Yeah. Well, his parents started to notice that when he would come back from riding his bike, He would stand outside and open the garage door multiple times. His clothes were color-coordinated in his closet. He would eat the same thing every day at lunch. And I read in the Tampa Bay Times that he would eat bologna and cheese on a Publix egg roll with Hellman's mayonnaise. And not Miracle Whip, but mayonnaise. (laughs) Doesn't that sound absolutely disgusting? Yeah, I'd rather go hungry. I would too. <laughs> or maybe just don't eat everything at the same time. Right, right. Like, yeah. hmm. And all of those things, like, they're weird, but not that weird. Um, OCD is very common. And, you know, just because you suffer from it doesn't mean you're a weirdo. Right. But it was the more disturbing things coupled with the OCD that alarmed everyone. Started watching a ton of horror movies Uh, He became obsessed with Silence of the Lambs and kind of idolized Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter. Yikes. Those are two terrible role models. Like, you couldn't have picked anybody worse. Well, 
And I do want to point out that liking scary movies isn't a problem, but idolizing murderers definitely is. Absolutely. I'm a huge horror movie fan, and I I just absolutely love horror movies. I watch at least one every day, one to two, sometimes three. And, uh, but I don't idolize anyone. Yeah, (laughs) that's weird. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he had a journal that he carried around with him everywhere. And in his journal, he would write about murders, serial killers, horror movies he wanted to study, lists of violent video games he wanted to play. He even went as far as to draw swastikas in his journal. Mm. He wanted to start a cult, start a new war, and his mission statement was to, quote, cleanse the planet. Okay, well, so I think we have some issues here. Yeah, so like not normal Dear Diary. Some kid pushed me into the locker, did, and this girl does not like me. Did someone, I mean, did people pick up on this, or is this like after the fact that they knew this stuff? You know, I don't think anybody really knew what he wrote in his personal journal, uh-huh. but everybody was starting to get concerned. Right. Got vibes like, or whatever. This is this kid's getting weird. Yeah. Well, in addition to writing in his creepy journal, he would spend hours in his room looking up crime scene photos on the internet. His friends would be like, this is very weird. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you shouldn't do this. And he was like, no, like he was fascinated by them. He thought they were super cool. And he had also at one point told his friend Andre that he thought it would be cool to be a serial killer. So, humongous red flag. Yeah, giant. I watched a documentary with one of his friends from middle school, Andre Martin. And in the documentary, he tells about a time they were at a football game. A boy makes fun of Michael. They get into a little back and forth verbal argument. And then Michael whips out a screwdriver and tries to attack the boy. His two friends, Jamie and Andre, are there. And they like kind of break up the fight. But that was when Andre was really starting to get disturbed by Michael's behavior. Because honestly, like... Who brings a screw? Who carries around a screwdriver with them unless you're like a construction worker? Yeah, even then, like even then, it's yeah, in the toolbox. It, yeah, 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 exactly. So the night of February first, two thousand four, Michael tells his mom that he needs to get some latex gloves to bring into science class uh, for some extra credit. She's like, okay, buys the gloves, and later that night he gets ready for school. But this time, to his backpack, he adds a jacket, hat, latex gloves, and makes a secret pocket in his backpack to hide one of his knives that he collected from his father's consignment store. Mm. The next day, it's Michael's birthday, and he goes to school and meets up with Andre and Jaime in the morning and tells them that he wants to show them something and, you know, come up to the bath, come into the school with me because they weren't allowed in school before the bell rang. Sure. So they agree. They go up to the bathroom to this on the second floor They all walk in. Michael puts on his hat and jacket. Andre said in the documentary that when he turned around, his face just completely changed. Which I would be so scared in that moment to have just like see somebody just completely shut down and turn into a different person. Especially, I I feel like it would be extra scary when it's someone that you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. So Michael wants Andre to go into the stall to look at what he's got. He's like, hey, I have something to show you. And Andre's like, no, I am not doing that. And he said he felt really uneasy and just felt that something was off. So he was not about to go into a stall with him. And Jaime is like, well, I'll go and see what you have to show us. 
Michael's like, no, not you. The bell rings, and they're, you know, well, we have to go back to class. They leave, and they agree to meet up the next morning after Michael asks them if they are going to cooperate tomorrow morning. <laughs> what a weird way yes. to ask your friends to meet up. And as they're leaving, Michael turns to Andre and says, tomorrow is going to be a special day. Neither one of the boys had any way of knowing that he had been planning their deaths for a week. Hmm. February 3rd, 2004, Michael gets to school around 8.30 and goes to the fence where he usually meets his friends in the morning. Andre isn't there because he had a club meeting that morning, but Jaime is there waiting for him in their usual spot. Michael told Jaime to come into the school with him because he wanted to show him something from the day before. They go up to the bathroom, Michael puts on latex gloves, his jacket and hat, removes his jewelry, and him and Jaime go into the bathroom stall. He tells Jaime to turn around so it'll be a surprise, and then he tells him that he has to put his hand over his mouth. No. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Well, he studied that he pulled his head back and cuts his throat from left to right. Oh. I hate throat slits. Isn't that awful? Yeah. I don't like anything. Like that to me, like when I watch scary movies, that's one of the hardest things for me to watch is that. Same. There's just something about it that I absolutely hate. It like makes my stomach hurt. Yeah, I think like repulsive is the word I would use. Uh, good word. In the police interview, Michael said that Jaime turned around and said, please don't kill me. And Michael replies, okay, I won't. He then stabs him over 40 times. Damn. Isn't that just like, that's heartbreaking. Please don't kill me. That is so sad. Yeah. And to just be like, that is your friend. Yeah, supposedly. Yeah. How, how could you do that to anyone? You know, but like, that's your friend. You knew that kid. You hung out with him. Like, well, when Michael's finished, he flushes his gloves down the toilet, washes his hands, and puts his jacket and hat in his backpack and returns to class. In class, he acts completely normal. He realizes that there's blood on his shirt and that he's lost one of his rings. He, had, he wore these two rings every day that were very distinctive and, you know, was like, I have to get this ring back. People are going to recognize that it's my ring. Mm -hmm. So he tells his teacher that he needs to go to the bathroom and clean up because earlier that morning, him and Jaime had been joking around and Jaime had opened a door and accidentally hit him in the face. That was his lie that he told the teacher. Earlier in the morning, he had removed his rings so they wouldn't cut open his latex gloves because he was worried about leaving possible evidence behind, which is also why he wore the hat and the jacket to kind of keep like hair and fibers down to a minimum. Sure. So he had this planned, like planned, planned. So he goes upstairs to find the ring and runs into a kid in the hallway, and he overhears the kid say that there's someone dead in the bathroom stall. He calmly walks into the bathroom, gets his ring, and goes back to class. Jaime was found by the kid Michael had ran into earlier, and obviously teacher and staff were notified and the police were called. The school goes into lockdown, and Michael's teacher remembers that he had blood on his shirt and notifies the authorities that are in the school. Michael is removed from class to be questioned. I watched the police interview for this case, mm -hmm. 
And to say it was disturbing is like the understatement of the year. It was just so cold and matter of fact. It was very weird to watch. It's like he was being questioned like, what did you do today? Well, I went to the grocery store and then, uh, you know, I put my groceries away and uh -huh. just very, like he was having a normal conversation with someone. At first, Michael told the detective that Jamie o owed a 17-year-old gang member, Sangre, some money, and that it was Sangre who killed Jamie. He eventually admitted that it was him and confessed. He revealed that his original plan was to lure Andre to one bathroom and kill him, and then lure Jamie to another bathroom and kill him in that one. And he did that because he said they were really good friends and that Jamie would have been the easiest because he would have followed him and done whatever he said. Isn't that like a creepy thing to say about your friends? Like you 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 picked your friend because you could manipulate him. Yeah. Yeah, that's a That's gross. It's not a rational thing to think about. In his journal, he had a detailed plan of how he was going to go about it. And it's also worth mentioning, too, that he had a kill list in his journal. And it was Andre, Jaime, and his sister, his older sister. At the end of his step-by-step -step plan, because you can find a picture of it online, where he is detailed, like, step-by-step step plan on how he's going to kill them. And the last step of his plan was he should thank God for success. I don't think God wants you to kill anybody. No, no. no. Oh, man, that's really odd. Isn't that weird yeah. to put that in there? Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, like, if you, you are a church goer or know anything about the Bible or just even a normal person, mm -hmm. you know that killing is 1,000% like not allowed. That's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? I, like I thou so. shalt not kill? I think so. I don't know anything about the commandments, but I'm pretty sure, I'm it pretty sure it's in there. <laughs> if not, it should be. Yeah, I think it is. Well, during his interview, he's very matter-of-fact and shows absolutely zero remorse for what he's done. The detective um, is walking him through the day and asks him why he made the suggestion for Jamie to go into school early. And he says, quote, I was planning to murder him. No guilt, no sadness, no remorse, no feeling at all. So they get to the part where he starts telling the detective about um, how he murdered Jaime and he starts getting excited while he's telling him and is almost acting proud of what he's done. Michael tells the detective that his intentions were to kill Andre the same way I killed Jaime, except for the fact that I was going to stab him in the back and stab him here and that would have been it. At one point in the interview, the detective asks, are you sorry that this happened today? And Michael says, no, I'm not. A search of his room was done, and in it they found tons of horror movies and books, three knives in his bedside table, along with a razor blade, 
eight throwing stars, a lighter, six Bibles, and the Book of Mormon. I think his family was pretty religious, but I feel like that's like a lot of Bibles to have. Is that like a normal thing for people who are religious to? Uh, I don't really know. Uh, I have no idea. I can't speak on that, but it sounds a little obsessive in my opinion. It does. I agree. And an interesting and disturbing fact about this case is the parallels it has to Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. Buffalo Bill was a fan of Hitler. Uh, he He had like the pictures and stuff in his home or something. Like that, I think I remember seeing that in when I watched that movie. It's been a long time. Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, I can't remember either, but I wouldn't be a big surprise if he did. Yeah. You know. uh, well, Michael, he also drew like swastikas in his journal. Uh-huh. Buffalo Bill started killing those close to him first. So did Michael, and both lured their victims with a false sense of comfort. Yeah, pretty crazy. I remember like one scene in the movie. Uh, he pretends to have like a broken arm and he needs help like lifting furniture into his van Ugh. and he makes her go first. Yeah. And he gets it in and then he like shuts the door. It's like, damn it. I know. I have to say that was a great movie. Um, I'm sorry that this kid took it so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, with anything though. I mean, Anthony Hopkins, fantastic. Yeah. Actor. He's really is great and genuinely terrifying. Yeah. Isn't he scary? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, Eats people's faces off. Well, after the interview, he was taken to a juvenile assessment center September 24th, 2008. Four years after the murder of Jaime, he pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. He has his trial and is found guilty of first-degree murder of Jaime and attempted first-degree murder of Andre. He receives life without the possibility of parole, plus an extra 30 years for the attempted murder charge. While being read his sentence... And this is just my personal opinion mm-hmm. on the matter and what I observed when I watched the little video clip of it. Sure. He, when he was being read his um, sentence, he looked like he was bored. He had like these like weird emotions flash across his face. One was like contempt. Mm-hmm. At one, it looked like he was sneering. He looked bored. Like, like he just had like. I kind of gathered that he looks like he was superior to everyone in there. It was a not a surprising reaction, but I think a surprising reaction given the fact that he is 14 years old and was capable of doing this and just looked like he did not care. Like he didn't look scared that he was going to spend the rest of his life in jail. He didn't look bad that he killed his friend. Yeah, that's really interesting. If you think back to like what you were doing and thinking about at like fourteen, like it was nowhere near that. Oh God, no! Like at all? Like you know? Yeah, it w- night and day like, differences in our interests. It was like riding bicycles and like playing guitar and like yeah, listening to music and I mean hanging out with friends and yeah, I don't yeah. know, man. Well. He was given the opportunity to speak and, you know, maybe apologize, but he declined that offer. Now, I debated putting this part in here because 
I didn't like the way it was said. I think that I understand what Michael's mother was trying to say, but to me, it sounded a little insensitive. Uh, in his trial, in his original trial, she asked the courts to remember that he is 14 years old and didn't ask for mental illness. I thought that could have been phrased a little bit better. That was a weird way to put it, kind of making him the victim. Right. When right. I personally think he's clearly not the victim. Um, she also applies to or apologized to Jaime's family, but then in the same breath said that she was just as sad for her family. Isn't that... I, I personally thought that was weird. That's a weird way to word it. I understand you're trying to plead a case for your son, yeah. but let's not lump Jaime into it. I thought that was kind of like... like I'm sad for you, but I'm also just as sad for myself. Like, your kid is still here. He did something terrible. Mm -hmm. I get that he's your child. I have children of my own. I'm not sure how I'd feel in that situation um, because I hopefully will never run into that. But I just feel like even though my children, they're my children, I would not be okay with that. I would still love them because I gave birth to them. But at that point, I feel like I personally would be like, I'm sorry, but this is a terrible thing you've done and you're going to have to answer for it. I don't think that I would apologize to the family and then be like, well, I'm just as sad for my family. That kind of like negates the, the apology to me. Exactly. It takes away the sincerity. And not only is it, it doesn't seem like she's even apologizing for him. But like she's like, why don't you feel sad for me? Right. It's like what, like. Yeah, like, it was a weird. It a, is weird. It's really weird, weird to think apology. about. I didn't like it. I was like, this is like not sincere at all. You feel bad for them, but. What about me? Yeah. What about me? What yeah. about what my kid did? You know, and it's like your kid is a nut. Like he's got what he deserved. Like. <sighs> yeah, I get it, and yeah. Yeah, being a parent, you don't ever want to think bad about your kids, and it's hard for people to do that. But, um, like, he murdered people. Yeah. Like, he murdered other children. Like, it's, it is sad, but, like, let's, he's still here. He he made the decision to do it. But anyway, that's just my thoughts. I debated. Sure. People sometimes get funny about that, and, but. Yeah, you're just, well. You're just putting the news out there. Like, this isn't you. That's not your story. You're just telling the right. story. So I just, I'm glad you put it in there. I think it adds a lot to, like, um, the mindset of the family. Right. And that's the thing, you know, because before when he was going through all of his OCD uh -huh. tendencies and stuff and, you know, things that he was displaying, his parents actually considered getting him into a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it came too late. I think they were like making the appointments, and the first appointment was supposed to happen after February 2nd or 3rd or something like that. But it was very much like it's almost like she was, um, what is that word? Victim? Not like blaming him, but like very much trying to make her child the victim in this. Sure, sure, sure. And I, I don't agree with that at all. No, no. But maybe, 
not even trying to justify anything, but she probably wasn't in the best state of mind either, though. Oh, and that's true. Yeah. I mean, you just found so, out that your kid is yeah. a murderer and you're having to go. It turns your whole world yeah. upside down, like I'm she sure. She gave birth to him. Yeah. And being as religious as they were, you know, like she's probably got a thousand things going on her mind. Yeah. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make the thing she said right, but. But that is a good point to make. Yeah. Eight years later, the Supreme Court ruled that it was unlawful to automatically sentence a minor to life without the possibility of parole, which is a very controversial topic. Absolutely. Um, Early April 2018, he had his resentencing hearing. It had no jury and was actually heard by the same judge who was over his first trial. During his trial, a pen pal was discussed, and the prosecutors argued that his communication with his pen pal was proof that he hadn't changed at all. When Michael took the stand, he said that him and his pen pal would talk about serial killers and like violent topics. He said he wasn't into it, but that she was, so he just played along with it. Mm. He also explained that he was nervous because he had never talked to a girl before, and, you know, so he just didn't know what else to talk about. And I'd like to think that talking about serial killers is not weird. I mean, we do it every Sunday. Sure. But when you're in prison for brutally murdering one of your friends, then it's definitely weird and a topic you should avoid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Glorifying murder and, yeah. like, you know, you're essentially... You, I mean, you wanted to be one. You said you, it would be cool to be one. Yeah, his goal was so. to become a serial killer, starting with Andre Jaime and his sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did apologize on stand to the families involved, but this is another one of my opinions. I don't think it was really genuine. He was, like, pretending to cry, and even the prosecutor was like, that's fake. You have no tears on your face at all, no tears in your eyes, no tears running down your face. Um, And, well, once his resentencing hearing ended, uh, he was again sentenced to life in prison. And going back to the, you know, him being sentenced when he was a child without parole, that was a, a thing that was definitely brought up during this case because a lot of people would take the stance that, well, they're just teenagers they, you know, their brain fully ha- like hasn't fully developed yet, and you know they are still young and they have their whole life ahead of them. And mm-hmm. I can see if kids like steal something or they like steal a car or sell drugs or do something like that. There, I don't think kids should be sentenced. You know. Like, I think that life without parole is, a, like, a harsh sentence. But really, generally, you don't get life without parole unless you murder someone. But I can see why, I could see both sides, how people would think, like, oh, he doesn't know what he did. Like, he had issues, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think, I think that the crime is fitting for, or the punishment was fitting for the crime. Yeah, I could see it. I could see not sealing the deal 100 percent uh let's say he's 35 years old like talk to him see what's going on see if he's uh seeked help see if he's you know done anything to improve himself like his mindset like anything you know i'm not saying let him out but um 
just kind of reassess maybe, his mental. Yeah, situation. absolutely, absolutely. Um, maybe move him to a psych ward. I don't know. I'm not saying that they should. I'm just saying like maybe leave it open just a little bit because I don't know either though. Yeah, I don't. I've know. never had my family, any family member killed. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a tough one for sure. Michael Hernandez died at the age of 31 on April 29th, 2021. Guards were doing their rounds and found him slumped over in his cell. It was determined that he died due to cardiac dysrhythmia. So a very young age to pass away. Yeah. And we're almost done. So I'd like to end the episode on a lighter note because that was really sad. Yeah. Um, I'd like to point out that Jaime's parents have been just insanely strong through everything and remain so to this day. They love their son Jaime immensely and it definitely showed. He was a sweet kid. He had a big heart. It said that he played violin and was super smart making straight A's in school and he had the goal of becoming a scientist when he was older. Mm. In 2018, a street dedication ceremony was held in honor of Jaime and earlier a memorial garden was built at school. When, Michael's, when Michael died in prison, Jaime's parents gave this statement. To the family, I am very sorry this has happened to your son. Mr. and Ms. Hernandez, we're not happy to hear that your son had passed. Despite all of what we have been through, we as parents know how it feels. Wow. Like, that's what I wrote. Like, wow. Yeah. To uh, be able to apologize, you know, or, or sympathize with parents. Yeah. Um, I think that's crazy and very great, and I think that speaks to what kind of people they are. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they also started a support group for families who have also dealt with loss in their lives, and they kind of help them, you know, they share their stories, help them deal with it, and get through the grief process. Yeah, that's great. Um, People need an outlet, and it's nice to hear that there's things out there like that for people to Yeah, and especially after dealing with something so horrific, because Jaime was their only son. Oh, man, yeah. It's just, yeah. I think it's great, and I think it's very, very nice that they they are able to help other families and then show that kind of compassion to Michael's mother after all of it. Yeah, 100%. Andre Martin, um... Michael's other friend, he went on to, you know, do something productive, maybe had like a little positive out of the situation. It's said that he was inspired by how kind the police officers were to him during the investigation and how helpful they were. And that inspired him to become a police officer. And he now is a police officer for Miami-Dade. Cool. Good for him. And that is the end. Excellent. So very sad, but also a little positive at the end. Sure, absolutely. Crazy story. Yeah, next week um, marks, what is it, October? Spooky season. Mm -hmm. Next week we're going to have, let's see, ghost stories. Are you going to read some ghost stories this time? Yeah, I've got a few things. Um, I've got like a couple short like very short ghost stories, but like, um, creepy. Yeah. You know, and I thought about just mentioning, uh, maybe a couple, um, things that have happened in Indiana and a couple things that are going on during the season that may like people like things that you can physically do 
Oh, that's like to, awesome. Like enjoy the season. Oh, cool. I'm I'm yeah. very excited to hear it. Um, yeah. We're going to let's see, have four spooky episodes. Is it? Is it four or five? Yeah, we can do whatever we can fit in. Okay. We'll see. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's what you have to look forward to, and thank you for listening. Excellent. Bye. Bye. <laughs>